0: This is the Erasing Shame Podcast, Season 5, Diverse Perspectives Discussing What Matters. Trigger warning for this episode on body image with mention of rape, suicidal ideation, and addictions. Welcome to the July edition of Erasing Shame. So grateful that you are watching or listening. My name is DJ Chuang, one of the co-hosts. I'm joined with our regulars for this year, season five, Hannah Lee Sandoval, George Xiong, and Leah Abraham. And on this episode, we have a very special guest, Kathy Trinh, who is a best-selling author, keynote speaker, and CEO founder of Recruiter Hustle. And she does executive... Recruiting, as well as life coaching, and a bunch of other things as a Vietnam born mother, cancer survivor, mental health advocate, addiction recovery expert. And for those of you on video, you can see a copy of the book I have from Kathy, uh, her latest book, The Journey Mastering the Art of Slowing Down into a Beautiful Existence. I've flipped through it, and it contains her very poignant and personal story going through adversity and finding victory and healing. And it is solution oriented. So very practical ways of helping you be the best version of yourself. Her website is kathytrenn.com. That's spelled C-A-T-H-Y-T-R-I-N-H.com. And that'll be in the show notes at erasingshame.com. So the topic today is body image and all that's associated with it. So I'm going to hand it Over to Hannah to introduce the topic, and then we'll have a roundtable conversation about it.
1: Yeah. So, you know, this issue of uh, shame and body image. I think it's a really important and relevant one in API communities, and it's not something we talk about. And this is both in a secular context and in faith-based spaces. Um, We do talk a lot about weight or skin color or how sexually attractive you are in either an American or Asian context, but we don't often have these constructive, life-giving, healing, and empowering conversations. Um, I think that, you know, today having this special guest, we're going to learn all the different aspects of you know, why talking about body image is so important. Um, but something that really came to my attention was after the trauma of the Atlanta shootings where Asian-American women died and were victimized, there was this increased attention just towards the API community in general and the trauma and violence, the increased rates of trauma and violence we've been experiencing during the pandemic due to COVID. But the truth is we've been carrying trauma and pain a lot longer than just during COVID. Um, And really it's been um, just as much as it's been external, it's been internal. And what I'd love to hear about today and discuss with you all is how body image is not just about our physical bodies, but it's really an external, internal, integrated thing. And we are embodied souls. And how do we have these healing life giving insightful conversations where we can find more freedom and really kind of pick apart the ways that we're kind of embattled uh, in terms of body image and expectations from both sides American culture and Asian American culture. Do we want to invite Kathy then to tell part of her story.
2: Awesome. Well, thank you so much. I'm, I'm so honored. I'm so honored to be with uh, four amazing individuals. And thank you so much for al- allowing me to share my story and bringing me on this show and this podcast. Um, Hi, everybody. My name is Kathy Trinh. I live in Orange County, California. I am a refugee immigrant from Vietnam. When I was two years old, um, my teenage parents and I, we escaped Vietnam. And by God's grace, we were were picked up in the middle of the sea after seven days lost at sea. And I came into the United States here um, by 1980, and I've lived in Orange County pretty much all my life. So I'll just give you a little bit, um, a, a condensed version of my story, and we'll get into right into the to the meat and potatoes of. You know why we're here today but um you know i i grew up in a very gang infested area of orange county california um and so you know my look is a little bit more different you know I've, I've got tattoos i used to have a lot of piercings i dyed my hair i wanted to essentially it was like i wanted to fit in you know to the environment right we become the product of our environment and that's what happened and um you know i but but i also like i also had multiple different communities that I was involved in you know I, I loved um, I loved arts and I loved music and so I, I went I joined the band right so I played a clarinet for seven years I know you can't really can't tell I was a, um, a uh, perf- like somebody that would perform um, with an instrument right and then um, also I loved I was a very I was a big tomboy too so I loved sports I played volleyball basketball all sorts but then um, I um you know I went into high school and then college and um you know there there's a lot in between that happened but one of the pivotal moments that made me begin to start looking at my body in a um disgusting way or uh, hateful um I ended up on a basketball game, I came down on a rebound and I, and um, as I came down on a rebound, my knee got knocked out of its socket. And so from there, I got dislocated, knee, like patella dislocation, and I immediately, um, the doctor suggested surgery without any type of research or anything like that. My mom said, yes, I was only 13 years old at the time, and I ended up with a seven-inch scar on my right knee at the age of 13. But what happened when, when that happened, when I, I started gaining weight, right? Our, our parents really love us, to take care of us, want to feed us and take care of us and so with maybe a little bit of um, feeling sorry for Kathy she fed me and I ate so I started eating I started gaining a lot of weight um and I had like like um atrophy and one leg and it just I looked really off but I was still very like my mind was sharp my body was a little bit set back but I wanted to go so I I we discovered um uh, weight loss pills. And that was the beginning of my, the rest of my life. And, um, you know, just for a little bit of, uh, for those who don't know my background, I, um, I, uh, you know, essentially I I'm, I'm an author, I'm an internationally published author for two books. Um, I'm coming out with my third one. I also own a um, company. It is an executive search firm. So I've been in a very professional environment for a very long time. By God's grace, I was able to, um, stay with that industry for, um, over 22 years. And, um, And I also have a lot of passion for individuals that have mental health issues because what happened from the span of 13 up until the age of 22, I began to have a mental disorder and the disorder was an addictive, very addictive personality. And so I am an addict in long-term recovery. And I can definitely go into that a little bit more. But, um, uh, you know, the 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 topic of body image issues and disorder is very relevant. And, you know, during this during this time frame and, um, you know, and I definitely can get into more of that.
1: Um, You know, I'd I'd love to hear from our other co-hosts you know, as uh, Asian American Pacific Islander men and women, what are ways that you've experienced difficulty or struggle too with body image? And if you have your own stories that, you know, might find connections with Kathy's as well.
3: I can go. am um, for the most part, I've been pretty late bloomer on almost all aspects. And that also includes when I started my body to support the journey. Uh, like I, I remember in seventh grade, like, um, I had a friend point out, I was like, wow, Leah, you have a pretty flat belly. And I was like, is that good or a bad thing? I've never really considered like, what does your belly curvature mean and how, what that means. Um, and I've always been a bit resistant to the culture that I was growing up in. I grew up in India and so colorism was a huge thing there. And so yeah. Um, when we were encouraged not to go out in the sun or anything, I would, I had a competition with my friends to see who could be the darker one, right? And, and so there was always a rebellious side growing up, but I think it's been in the past 10 years where I think I've been really catching up to um, the society's narratives, I would say, um, an intersection of what my body should look like and um what a woman should look like, what um, an Indian woman should look like. Um, I got married two years ago and I started gaining weight after that, especially during COVID. Um, And when recently when I saw some of my communities, like aunties would come up and was like, it would be kind of a double-edged sword, kind of a um, diss of like, oh wow, we see that your husband's cooking really a lot for you I was like what because <laughs> that's like not only like shaming my body but shaming the gender roles in our um <laughs> with me and my husband and so I've, I'm I'm processing I'm in the I'm in the process of processing this and am trying to figure out my body and as I'm going closer to my 30s like I'm noticing even changes of my metabolism I'm like oh yeah I it's harder to lose the weight now um and I'm like oh you're I'm noticing that I'm preferring badger clothes or darker colors and I'm like and so I'm like I don't want to lose my relationship to my body I don't want to I don't want to give over to that narrative and so I'm really in the middle of figuring this out and trying to figure out um, how do I prioritize that relationship with my body how do I speak well to my body um, yeah, and how do I move through the world proud of who I am physically and internally instead of presenting, moving through it like in a safe way that's acceptable to the outer world so I'll feel safe if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah,
4: um, I think in terms of my journey, um, so being being a two, right? It's uh, on the enneagram. There's the issue of wanting to focus in on yourself and wanting to simply live through helping others and helping them achieve who who we know they can be, right? And there's a sense of self fulfillment in that um, because it feels better to help someone through their issues rather than dealing with my own. Um, so I can be a stuffer at times, um, but also being a seven um, there's this experience in which I am just completely indulgent. Um, I too have a very addictive personality and thankfully I have a wife who (laughs) can reel me in and really help me process through, okay, is this really something I need? Is this an impulsive thing? Um, and she, she helps ground me in that. Um, I also, uh, struggle with ADHD um, and so that impulsivity is is very huge in my processing of what it is that I want versus what it is that I need. Um, and so these are all like later, just in the past like six years, I've really wrestled through and and started navigating. um but as a kid, um, I grew up in a house of nine children, um seven of nine. Um, and I had four older brothers, two older sisters. And in that space, um, it was really difficult because we're all vying for attention um, and, and trying to uh, be heard, be seen. Um, and oftentimes I felt like the forgotten child. Um, but at the same time, I had this Joseph complex. Um, and I don't know if my family is ever going to listen to this episode, but if they do, like we've, we've worked through some of these things, so it's not like I'm hanging dirty laundry or anything. Um, but I grew up like as a chubbier kid through probably like second to seventh or eighth grade. Um, and, and being chubbier, um, in having ADHD, but not knowing it, like I was very emotionally uh, vulnerable. Um, and my, my siblings loved to, to pick on me, because I had a short temper. And they just knew like how to push those buttons. And I would explode all the time. Um, but the way that I often made myself feel better, was simply just eating my way through what I was what I was experiencing. Um, until I got to a certain point. Where I realized that I wasn't happy with my my body image um, and uh, really then went pendulum swing and in a sense, um, was really conscious about my body image and then like chose to not go the the anorexic route, but there was a lot of um, restricting and you know, focusing on how to get myself skinnier. Um, and there was a big transformation between, um, my seventh and ninth grade years. Um, and, and all of that was like emotionally driven and like just feeling frustrated with myself and turning all of those negative thoughts and all that negative energy in on myself. And, um, there's a lot to process there still, but, uh, I think just really recognizing like, um, like DJ was saying, there's, this Asian culture around how you look and you are either too skinny and you need to eat more um, or you're too fat and you need to eat less. And I've gone through the pendulum swing of both of those spaces and it's been really difficult to navigate. Um, And and now I'm kind of just sitting happy in a place where I uh, often jokingly say, but also seriously say like, I won the game, I'm married. I don't have to look good for anyone else but me and my wife. <laughs> and if we're not happy where we are, we can make the healthy choices to change that. Um, but yeah, it's been a up and down roller coaster. ADHD and um, emotional regulation—all of those pieces tie into this. Um, and I think the last thing I want to say is, uh, Kathy, I really appreciate also your perspective on addictions um, because I think oftentimes at least in, in, in my um, counseling understanding, is addictions are really the, the soothing uh, mechanisms that we use to address our distress. And oftentimes that then affects a lot of our body image and a lot of how we view and see ourselves. And so I think that ties very closely into what we're going to be discussing today. And I'm excited to, to hear your perspectives on that.
1: DJ, did you want to share anything as well?
0: Well, I, I'm wondering, uh, as a guy, um, I don't know if a body image is a bigger issue or has more dimension for women. Mm-hmm. Um, but as a guy, uh, to build on what George said, I, we were visiting my uh, in-laws in Huntington Beach um, just the other night, and uh, the 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 energy and the focus was them wanting to feed us, even though we had dinner. So we had to repeatedly tell them we had dinner, we had dinner, we had dinner. They still wanted to feed us. They wanted to give us something to eat. It's as if um, uh, saying, did you eat yet? Is the uh, Chinese or Asian way of saying, uh, we love you. And uh, I'm thinking back in my own story. I'm 55 now, but when I was uh, a teenager, Um, going into college, I kind of got the freshman 15. So I went from a skinny kid into a plump, plumpier, uh, chuggier kid. And uh, from that point on, I kind of kept the weight on. And every time I visit home, my parents would uh, criticize my extra weight and my roundness of the belly. And I I just felt defeated. I didn't know what to do with that. And so it doesn't motivate me to get am more skinny or healthier when I'm criticized like that, and so that's kind of how I've reacted. Um, I think I'm in a decently healthy, healthier place. Although, by the BMI index or the physician's um, chart, I'm a little bit on the overweight side, but I feel decently healthy. So, um, learn learning to find that place where you have not just physical. Health, but also emotional and overall health uh, is has been a better place for me. but I am a little bit concerned lately as I did just turn fifty five that my appetite seems to be shrinking so I'm not sure if that's an indicator of um, my metabolism. Uh, I hope it's not an indicator of depression because that's something I've had to manage for my own mental health so that's kind of where I'm at, but thanks for asking here.
1: Yeah. Kathy, was there anything in um just our sharing that really resonated with you or made you remember part of your own narrative?
2: Oh, absolutely. Um no, thank you for sharing this. I have so many different um channels and different ways of expressing this narrative. And um, you know, I'll I'll say this. I'll I'll just, you know, I'll just shoot from the hip, but I'm um, Yeah, I really hated my body for a very, very long time. But I hated the way that I felt, Um, you know, talking about like body dysmorphic disorder. Like I had learned about that and I started even obsessing about that. Um, You know, it's really I mean, for years and years and years, like I had like always like these this idea that like some aspect of my body, my personality is defective. Like I'm broken. I walked around. I'm broken. The narrative of having trauma. I'm broken. I picked all these different men. And so one of the the, the big profound things, and the reason why I'm gonna, I want to continue to voice. Um, there is definitely hope in recovery and you don't have to be like an addict or like well you don't have to be an alcoholic or um, an addict that takes drugs to do the 12 steps there's there's different steps and the very first step in this in any of these step work if the beauty is it says it's we're powerless over x and our life is unmanageable You know, like I shared with you earlier in our conversation, you know, I had an intervention, my ex-husband was bipolar manic depressive, and he went in and out of prison for many years, I've known this man for 20 years, couldn't keep it together, right, it's just um, constant battle with his, his past couldn't declutter what was in his mind acted out blame shame guilted everybody in our his life and i started looking at this i said what is you know and 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 the reason why i came out with my story was because i was so codependent and i was so focused on this person's life that i wanted to fix them but as i was fixing them i started saying oh my gosh i have my own mental illness and i i call it the x factor so it's powerless over X and our life is unmanageable. It could be, putting, it could be us putting sugar into our, uh, into our diet. I'll, I'll, I'll declare this, I haven't jumped on a scale to weigh me for over a year. And the only reason why I do that is because every time that scale budges up and down half a pound, I basically turn it around and that's the story of my day. I failed yesterday. I I'm hurting myself. So I know that when I'm reaching for something now, for me, the solution was always to run to something. It was to run to food. It was run, run to a compulsive disorder that I had, you know, we can, we can label it anything. It was a disorder. It was basically whether it was, um, you know, uh, like it was crunchy sugar or whatever the case was, right? Like sweet, Crunchy, sour, like it it had to be something, um, oral fixation or whatever it was, but I had to run to something. And the only reason why I was so chaotic, I I kept on telling myself, I said, maybe someone should, maybe I should get my braces and my jaw shut down. Maybe I should go get gastric bypass surgery because I thought all those were a solution to that what was centering in my addictive mind. They say in our program is that the problem centers in our alcoholic mind. So, so therefore I discovered that, you know, what I needed to do is become aware. And so in my level of awareness, it was essentially awakenings. It was called, you know, like if you're up there and you talked about, you know, you hear personal development speakers, uh, world-class speakers talk about blind spots. For now, for example, if I were to sit here and speak with you and someone behind me was telling me I had a bee or something in the back of my hair and I'm like looking around like, I don't believe you. I don't see it. I just don't see it. It's because we had to be made aware of it. So during the steps, what I ended up doing was I took inventory of everything. I took inventory of why I was upset with my mom for so long. And I ended up you, I, in my recovery is that I had to own up on my part. I had to look at my side of the street, and I'll I'll share with a, a real, really sweet, bittersweet love story about my mother and I. My relationship with my mother has always been upset. She would say something. She would look at me, and I would be so mad. Because she knew and all it came down, I had this block. I could not be in love with my mother because my mom was mean, right? Whatever it was, it's like this little girl in me. I'm 43 years old. I had this narrative for so long that my mom didn't love me. And I blamed my mom for my eating problems. I said, look at your pantry. I am overweight. I'm unhappy with myself because of you. You fed me every single time. But until I started doing the work, there was a key key component and a key bit of story that I didn't know about my life. So I found out that when we were on the refugee camp and I was only two years old, we would only have the the clothes on our back and no money. My mom had a sew um, for pennies to go and buy food. So she told me a story one day and she said, Did you know that you we every morning I wanted to take you out? We went to go eat. And we didn't have enough money for two bowls. So I let you eat all the noodles in the bowl. And all I did was I drank the soup. And that bit of information changed my life because my mom loved me so much that she sacrificed a meal for me. And so my her overfeeding is because she loved me. So whoever is on this podcast and listening, I would highly encourage you. I would even challenge you. To sit and have an honest relationship, an honest conversation with your parents. Tell me how you two met. How did you stay in love for so long? Whether or not you see if there's love or not. What happened when I was a kid? Was there any times that we didn't didn't have enough food to eat? And I blamed my mother for so long. She was so nasty in my eyes, but today my relationship with my mother is healed because of that bit of information. It's because of the narrative I've told myself for so many years. So, you know, I like, there's so much work. It's like in my program, in my life, I say, do the work, all the ladies that I mentor and I sponsor, I said, do the work. You know, you can't You can't solve all your world's problems in one day, so you can't feel healed today. You know, I said the reason why I've journeyed on this recovery path for 20 years is because I still have 50 more years to learn about me. And I'm so excited. You know, I came into the program in the recovery when I was 22 years old. I didn't feel like I fit in. You know, all that talk right now about um, Asian issues, it's for me, I'm going to say it. It's a little cringy and so sorry to say that primarily because anything that's against anything else, I feel that is still war. There's no love that's, that exists. So for me, what I've been sharing on each of the podcasts that I've been on is share the love, but also let us know, let's focus on the children. How are you raising your children right so that they can be the generations of the future? You know, and I'm, I'm, I feel so bad for people that need the megaphones to, to, to shout at the rooftops on, you know, all this, but take it down a notch, turn, change the station and focus on what's happening in your home. Let me see on social media what you're doing with your child today. Are you taking them out? Are you going out there and dragging them with you and having them in this negative conversation? So my, my views on some of these topics are a little bit different. I honestly don't feel any discrimination. I've never been discriminated against. And the reason why I say that is because the minute I walked into recovery with all the gray hairs, nobody looks like me. When I walked in though, I will say this, I wanted blonde hair, blue eyes so I can fit in. But had I been discriminated, I would have either killed myself or I would have been a dead a long time ago because of my drug use. So I, I want to um, encourage everybody to, to do the work. You know, in Gospel John of John, he said, go out into the deep waters and cast your net. That's the only where, that's the only place that you can actually see, find fish. You know, when you're out here and saying, you know what, there's no fish up here. There's I don't see anything. But go into the deep water and cast that net. So I am, I'm just um beyond grateful to be able to share this. You know, there's there's so many other areas in this conversation that we can talk about. We can talk about stress eating, disorder, attention deficit disorder, compulsiveness, all of that. But I think just because of the deep work that I've done, I can really relate to anybody I sit with.
3: thank you so much, Kathy, for sharing that piece of you and of your mom. Um, I'm, really, I'm really grateful that you were, that I had the opportunity to go deeper in that work with her, right, to um, that Um Something I've been thinking about as I was hearing you speak, and you're right, we can take this so many places, but I, I'm also curious for all of us living in North America of uh, where we, Living in societies where the primary narrative says that Asian American bodies aren't attractive or Asian American bodies aren't desired. Like that's, um, and that's where a lot of the fetishization, fetishization um, issues and all of that stem from. Um, I, I, th- I guess I'm trying to figure out, and I'm trying to link and understand in terms of our relationships with our body as affected by whiteness and white culture and how that affects the way we move in our specific geographic locations i'm curious to hear your guys thoughts and experiences about that
2: um george did you want to answer that or hannah or would you like me to share my experience.
1: Kathy, if you have something to say, please have at it. You are a special guest today.
2: <laughs> oh my goodness. Thank you so much. Yeah. Um, so I got my first tattoo because I was so in love I was so in love with um an Asian person of my culture. And I was 15 years old at the time. I remember we had and we ended up having matching tattoos also. Right? And we ended up getting, you know, like I think he was I don't know, a gangster or something. So we did the whole, you know, um marking ceremoniously marking our bodies with cigarette burns. I don't know if you remember any of that, but um at the time I was really young. I was 15 years old. And what happened was on my way, and this is, this is something I documented in my journal as well as my book. There's a whole, um, that was my first spiritual awakening in, in chapter three of my book. It's called The Awakening. And I remember I had ditched school that day because I was so in love with him. And unfortunately, I made a huge mistake and I was hitchhiking. So I, I tried to hitchhike to Huntington Beach and unfortunately, I jumped into the car with somebody that had um, that wasn't good. Um, I'm sure now, I, you know, I've forgiven this this elderly man who was a complete stranger. So I was part of the, you know, being raped by the two percent of um, somebody a stranger essentially. And at that point, everybody in my life became predatorial you know even the person i was with i felt like didn't feel safe around him and so i started because of that awakening allowed me to pay attention to my surroundings and i and it was the fear but also the control aspect of it all so i became i ended up controlling everything in my life i said you know i'm going to get more tattoos i'm going to get um cosmetic surgery i'm going to look a certain way so i can move around in my different communities a certain way um, in napoleon hills um, in napoleon hills think and grow rich book if you read chapter 11 there's something uh, the chapter is called sexual transmutation so I had read that years and years ago, and I just knew that sexual energy is one of the strongest energies in the entire world, and it's so powerful. So I started to look, like, I started st- studying my sexuality and how I communicated with both sexes, men and women, and I, I specifically chose a certain type. Right? It would be, it would be someone that was broken someone that I needed to fix. Because if I was able to control that individual, then I can be happy. And it was a game that I played with myself for years. And it didn't matter if you were a 10, I'm going to control you. And I'm just going to learn about you. I'm going to manipulate this relationship. And then when I felt a little insecure, I'm going, or when I'm on top of the world, I'm going to look for someone that I would date someone that's you know, less attractive. Right. So we got to be real here. You know, there's, uh, there's levels of, or different types of people that will date. Like, so there's like a seven, eight, nine, 10, or whatever the case is, but I, it was all control. And I just, and ultimately what happened and it didn't matter who this person was. I started falling heavily into my sex and love addiction, which I wrote heavily about on my book. It's a very raw and authentic, um, storytelling of, What happened to me and why did I get so out of control with this? And honestly, at the end of the day, it's not just our body. It's our mind, body, and spirit. I was spiritually sick for so long. And when spiritually sick people, energy attracts like energy. And I gravitated towards those who were just as broken as me at this time. You know, what I know today uh, is... I know what my triggers are and I know, and as soon as I can spot it, like I've got the red flags, my, um, you know, my guard is up. So I hope that kind of answers that question. You know, it, 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 it's really, it's, it's very extremely deep, but, um, you know, I, I, and when I look in my, myself in the mirror, I morph. Some days I'm extremely unhappy with myself. You know, like we go back to the body dysmorphia disorder. Oh my gosh, how do I look? What do I wear? Should I wear darker clothes so I can look skinnier? How do I feel about myself? Um, you know, and it, it ultimately, it, it caused me a lot of anxiety. It caused me a lot of extreme, severe depression. And there's also what, what I call generational and cultural depression too. I was depressed for a long time. Mom said I would didn't look pretty enough. So I'm like, okay, let me go ahead and change some of my features. You know, at one point I was blonde as a blonde, you know, Caucasian lady and others I would like, I would, you know, and then I wanted more tattoos. I wanted to cover up my body because I had so many scars. And I mentioned earlier to you that the first scar that I have is seven inches on my right knee. You know, it's, it's lopsided, uh, to be honest, if I put both of the knees down, one side is higher than the other. I know it, but people visually outside, they don't know it. So I'm constantly looking at it, constantly feeling it, you know, and, and the dysmorph and it's, it's an obsession. I, you know, even to this day, and I'll be completely honest, I still look in the mirror at least 10 to 15, maybe even 20 times a day. You know, I would pass by a windows shop, and I would look at the mirror to see if my arms look thinner than it did 15 minutes ago in a different mirror. But it's an obsessive compulsive disorder. Or if I'm on FaceTime or if I'm on um, an interview with someone, I'm constant, I have to practice. It's a practice, you know. And that's why in recovery, we say 24 hours a day. We only have one day at a time because at any instance, I can be feeling confident about myself, but I'm going to walk outside and someone has a way cleaner and better looking car than I do. And all of a sudden my self-confidence goes to, you know, down to the ground. So it's being aware and it's to, it's also doing the work. um, Definitely. I mean, I know there's a lot of uh, podcasts out there right now talking about self love and self care. That's so, it's, it's, I know nowadays it's kind of cliche, but we have to stay so diligent on that. It's almost like using that as a spiritual tool set because there's so many, so much brokenness out in the world. You don't know when you go and speak with someone or, Enter in a new conversation with someone at the grocery store, and they're wallowing in your their misery. You're taking their energy with them, so you got to have a spiritual toolkit to be able to talk your way out of that and say, "Okay, you know, we in in also in recovery, we say that we can't think our way into right living. We can only act our way into." wellness we you know so it's an action-oriented program you have to go do go to yoga make your bed in the morning brush your teeth when i was leah when i was in my absolute bottom i'm going to call it a i am a a low bottom drunk i drank to oblivion you'd wake up and a hotel and I'm lost in the world, or I would be drinking so much I would be passed out underneath the table. And I'd wake up, I'm like, oh, I'm fine. You know, that was because it was me, my culture, but I'm also a, a blackout codependent. You know, when I start getting codependent on my families and I become love addicted, and why don't you love me more than my siblings? I black out and I get en, enraged. And that's where my my spiritual toolkit kicks in. I have to do the work. We do 10th, 10th, uh, 11th and 12th step every day. And so what I'm doing now with you is I'm sitting with you sharing love but also being of service. I'm carrying the message to another person that's listening to this podcast that is still sick and suffering. And just being a walking testimonial, just saying, hey, look, if I can pick myself up from a low bottom drunk disaster of a life, you can too. And this is how it looks like.
0: <laughs> wow. So
2: it's, Yeah. Thank you for letting me go on that tangent right there
0: no that's right on message thank you for sharing all of that cassie hannah you want to weigh in
1: um well i mean i I was going to share some closing thoughts dj um i know you had a thought earlier making connections um did you want to share that
0: yeah so uh just hearing uh the conversations today and then thinking uh, about body image, it's such a big topic, and we've only scratched the surface. Yeah, it's skin deep. Um, yeah. There's there's cosmetic surgery. Mm-hmm. In uh, mm-hmm. in China, they want double eyelids. In Korea, cosmetic surgery supposedly is like normal for people to get, mm-hmm. and supposedly the highest amount. And then here in America, you have uh, augmentations and other kinds of surgeries, mm-hmm. and then sexuality. That, that's a very body kind of thing. So whether it's uh, over um, overactivity or um, gender issues and all that. Um, so there's the overeating, there's the under-eating, the way we look, the color of our hair, and so on and so on and so on. But they are, they're all body and they're, they're an expression, an outward, outward expression of what's going on inside.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: whether it's going on inside right now or going on because of past memories and hurts. Mm-hmm. And so um, I think it'd be helpful um, for us with the time we have is, well, let's we know there are so many dimensions of pain and hurt and trauma mm-hmm. and shame. Mm-hmm. What are some other additional ways in addition to what Kathy has says, we, we have to do the work. We, no one's ever floated into healthy living. Yeah. So you can't just do nothing and expect mm-hmm. to be healthy. And so, what are um, other things that um, have been helpful to you, uh, Hannah, Leah, and George, as you have learned to live healthier lives?
1: Yeah. Um. I mean, I <laughs> still journeying through mine. Uh, my journey has changed greatly after giving birth to my first child. Um, And now, you know, expecting a second. So having a mother's body is a completely different thing uh, and a new thing, relatively. Um, But I, I think a big part of the work I do with clients and that I've been sitting with myself is actually to take time to grieve our trauma. Um, a lot of people get into like a car accident or have a long-term illness or, you know, like Kathy, you're a cancer survivor yourself. And we don't realize how that affects us, not just our body, but our our soul, our spirit, our, I mean, everything about us. Cause we're, we're embodied souls, we're whole beings, but taking the time to realize like, how did I kind of end up here? You know, was I just overeating? Uh, was it my unhealthy diet or were there other actual like relational issues where I needed, Um, practice boundaries, cut some people out, change my work situation, leave a toxic, abusive relationship. Um, But sitting in, like, you know, Kathy mentioned, taking inventory and then kind of looking what action steps do I need to make and what support do I need to move in that direction? I I think also recognizing, um, like feeling safe and whole in our bodies and in our own minds, it's a fight you know, it's not easy. And a lot of us feel ashamed that it's a struggle and we struggle alone in isolation, but reaching out and finding community. um, Noom has been a great app that a lot of people have talked about because it's not necessarily just about your weight loss goals, but it's actually about learning, changing how you approach your mental health and then being in community and doing it together and sharing the struggle and encouraging one another. So I've appreciated that. People are starting to incorporate healthier living into mental health. I think it's a much more integrated approach. Um, but you know, I think that the the big thing that is kind of shining for me today from our conversation is that healing's often found in transformed relationship, right? Not just I lost the weight because I changed what I eat, but my relationship to God or myself or my family members my partner, my friends, um, food, you know, and other things. I I think that was really key. And I'd love to hear, you know, how other people have found healing, wholeness, empowerment, and how are we caring for our bodies and our souls in a really integrated way?
4: Yeah, you know, I think um, oftentimes whenever I do talks about mental health um, and destigmatizing it, uh, there's this understanding that I like to, to start with, which is recognizing that our lives aren't siloed areas of life that we live in, but that everything really is smack dab on top of one another, right? Um, they're not even Venn diagrams where like there are little parts of intersection, like they literally are, you know, life is life and, and it's very holistic. And so, um, you know, I think part of my process has, has really been to understand that um, if I don't love myself, right, nobody else is going to love me more than I can love myself, right, um, if I don't start in that space of loving myself and knowing that I have worth and knowing that I have value, right, despite what I look like, despite, um, you know, the choices that I'm making, right, it's, it's going to be really difficult to receive love from other people, right, um, and, you know, in in scripture right the second greatest commandment is um you know to love your your neighbor as you love yourself right and and oftentimes we read that verse like love your neighbor as you love yourself right that that second half of that verse really doesn't apply Right. We we don't know what it looks like. We don't know how to do it. Right. And so we think to ourselves, oh, I can't love myself because if I love myself, I'm gonna be seen as arrogant, I'm gonna be seen as prideful, I'm gonna be right, casted in this certain light. And and society kind of teaches us that. And and we really do have to get into this place of knowing what it means to appreciate ourselves for who we are, allowing ourselves to receive grace in the in the shortcomings that we might see um and and really, you know, like you were saying, Hannah, just doing this in in the understanding that we don't live as individuals, as islands, right, but that we we have to figure these things out through relationship. um and so uh, in in doing this work, um, I think uh, that first step of finding out how you can love yourself is really important um and sometimes you very much so need other people to to help you hear that and understand that um treat it and and the biggest thing that i do with a lot of my clients is learn to treat yourself like you would a friend right um and and don't see yourself as a burden to others um don't cast that judgment on yourself if you wouldn't cast it on a friend um and then really help yourself to Connect in relationships in a way where um, your value is continuously um, pointed out to you, right? That you're being affirmed in who you are, um, that you're being affirmed regardless of what state you find yourself in. Um, And it's through those relationships that you're going to come to an understanding that uh, when you aren't happy with where you're at, um, that you can make the choices intentionally. To, to become the kind of person that you want to be. Um, and just being a therapist, I'm going to throw this out there too. Mental health care is preventative, and it's, it's, it's not just reactive for, for individuals who feel like they are struggling. If you're doing well, go see a therapist and just process through things. Uh, like Kathy was saying, do that work to see where there might be some some lies that you've had to tell yourself to survive through difficult traumas so that's that's my two cents
3: that's good advice things that have helped me um i think a lot of i follow um i have friends who are embodiment coaches or somatic um, healers, and i think Just learning from them has been really good and it's helped pushing me to have a relationship with my body, one where I'm treating it with the kindness and gentleness as the same gentleness that like I think of my spirit craves or I wish other people would treat me with. I have I'm trying to relearn treating my own body that way um, and trusting it and leaning on its own wisdom. That's been helpful. Um, shout out to Ta- uh, Tara Tang. Uh, she's Canadian and Asian. And I think she's Singaporean Chinese. Um, who does this work, and I think she's just really amazing in see- being able to see it from through intersectional lenses, um, and also finding just small ways of rebellion for myself. Um, I think part of my decolonization journey is understanding that. Um, whiteness devalues my body and I can't let that narrative um, win in me and so finding ways where I'm expressing my identity identity. so whether it's like whether it's incorporating little pieces of my culture into my everyday um, outfits or Just embracing, like I don't shave the arms on my hair. I love it, and I don't. I don't want that beauty standard to win out. Right, and so like being finding small ways to rebel against beauty standards and colonial expressions of beauty has really also been helped me to advocate for myself and my body and how I move through the world. All
0: right. Well, as we're wrapping up, I want to thank uh, Hannah, George, and Leah for being our co-host in season 5 thank you so much for help, sharing some helpful tips in terms of living well uh, completely holistically body mind and spirit and it reminds me um all of us come from different uh spiritualities on the spectrum with some christian influence and uh even the bible uh that some people overuse to uh spiritualize that um The scripture also says that the body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so uh, we're both spiritual and physical, and having um, all of that in sync and harmony is really important. Kathy, I want to give you you an opportunity for a closing word. Thank you so much for making the time to share with us your personal story and digging deep, really, um, just about how painful and yet how powerful our bodies can be when we can do the work uh, towards health.
2: Oh, absolutely. Thank you so much. um, Hannah, Leah and George, and of course, DJ for inviting me here. One of my closing thoughts on this uh, conversation and to summarize everything, you know, it took me a long time to believe in something that was a that was bigger and stronger than me. Um, I I ran on my own will for a very long time, and and it it got me to it got me to my knees and my bottom. But um, there's a acronym that I've heard. It's called uh, well God. So it's the I I received the gift of desperation. It really was. It was. I was. I was extremely desperate, and a lot is at stake for me. Guys, you know, if I don't do the work on a regular basis and if I don't lend my hand to another person and being of service, not only that I don't feel good about myself, my peace and serenity is at stake, my relationships are at stake, my my life is completely unmanageable. Financial problems start creeping up, and it doesn't creep up overnight unless your house burns down or something. But even that insurance covers that, right? But there's no insurance to your health. So mental health is so important, so important, and it's a regular basis. If you're feeling like there's something wrong, please reach out. There's plenty of individuals out there that is ready to open up their doors. You know, at at affordable uh, rates, and I just um, I can't I can't say enough how um, doing the work is really important. So thank you so much for letting me share, and thank you for letting me be here.
0: Thank you, Kathy, again, the author of the journey. Uh, We'll add a link in the show notes so you can also connect with Kathy if you like some coaching, if I heard her speak, and all the resources that are free. She generously shares with the world. Thank you for sharing out of uh, a place of healing and giving back. And we're here for you too. Erasing uh, shame, uh, Connect with us on YouTube, Facebook, um, uh, subscribe to the podcast. Uh, we'd love to connect you with resources to help you uh take those next steps towards healthy living and encourage one another. Uh, I just compiled this uh being July, I just compiled a list of uh therapist directories for. BIPOC, people of color. New York Times just uh, came out with a recent article about how uh, so much of mental health resources have been uh, dominant culture why and yet now there's uh, growing voices and directories and websites that are beginning to change that. So that'll also be in the show notes at erasingshame.com. Thank you for tuning in. Drop us a line anytime. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Erasing Shame podcast. Check out our website at erasionshame.com. We would love to hear your comments and questions. Please subscribe on any podcast app like Apple, Google, Spotify, or on Facebook and YouTube. And please add a rating, a review, and a share so more people can experience the freedom and healing that comes from Erasing Shame.